Join us for this week's episode as Deacon Charlie talks with Rachel Ullman. Rachel is a wife, mother, and feminine leadership advocate. She runs the Given Institute, which works to activate the gifts of Catholic women in the world. Deacon and Rachel confront the lies women have been told about what it means to be a leader and explore the truth of what authentic leadership looks like as it relates to living a life of service to others and ultimately to God. We at Given want every woman to know that she has the capacity for leadership. No matter what you look like, no matter how tall you are, your weight, but really, to really get to the heart of it, beyond it, no matter your job title, no matter your state in life, right? No matter how much money you make, you are a leader and God has called you to be a leader in your own sphere of influence because God has given each and every human being unique and unrepeatable gifts and leadership. Leadership is using those gifts at the service of others. This is Living the Call. Rachel Ullman, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. No relation to Tracy Ullman, right? Not that I know of, no. Not that you're aware of, or not that you want. <laughs> she's that? Yeah. She's actually, I mean, well, there's a lot of skits that were actually pretty fun. This was back in the day. I don't think a lot of people know who Tracy Ullman even is, but um, she was a pretty big comedian back, was it like 90s, right, maybe? She was. I have to say, when I married my husband and changed my name, it is a pain to spell my last name. I had, I thought, a pretty easy, you know, maiden name, but I have to always remind everyone, two L's, two N's. So I feel Tracy Allman's pain is what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm looking, I'm looking even in my notes and I spelled it wrong. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. It happens all it's, the time. But it's the two L's that get me. I think the two, the, the, the two N's are the one that, I don't know, maybe that seems more logical. The, you know, in Spanish, the two L's is actually a different letter. I don't know if right. you know that. There's like, there's, there's mm-hmm. L and Elle, which is like a whole different, whole different thing, which apparently I've always pronounced incorrectly, even though I speak Spanish fluently. My mom told me that the other day. She's like, you know, that's not how you say that. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. You got Thanks, caught. Mom. You got caught by mom, huh? I did. Do you speak, <laughs> do you speak Spanish? I don't, but Almond is a very German name, obviously. It is. And it is. so what I was always told is it was men from the town of Ull. So I guess all those Germans who know the town of Ull know it's two L's. Ooh, Ullmann. Yes, yes. You know, I actually took German in high school. I did four years of it just to be difficult oh. because everybody was taking French and Spanish. And I was like, you know, I'm going to be a contrarian. And learn something totally different and go the kind of Teutonic route instead of the Latin-based route. I'm like, you know, I already know Spanish, so I'm kind of cheating with French and Portuguese (laughs) and all these other languages. So have you ever been to uh, Germany? I have. It's actually one of my favorite destinations, uh, Bavaria, Bavaria predominantly. Yeah. So I would go back to Rome or Bavaria any day of the week. I just thought the hillside, the countryside was gorgeous. The castles Mm. were amazing. But I am definitely a beer and carbs kind of woman. So any any restaurant in Germany made me happy. (laughs) You're like the the anti-keto Avenger. Yeah. Yeah, none of that. I have no desire for keto or salads, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting because I've been... um, Curious what you think about this, especially given the line of work that you're in. And we'll talk about that. But um, I've been doing some variation of kind of like a ketogenic approach to food for a couple of years now. I mean, not as I always joke with people, I'm only religious about religion. So um, (laughs) 
<laughs> I, I'm not like super religious about the the kind of keto thing, but um, but I do try to like really minimize carbs. Um, yeah. But the one thing that I miss the most, to be honest, is beer. Mm-hmm. I actually. And I was never like a huge beer guy, but like the idea of sitting down at that one moment where you just want a beer and going like, oh, this is just a glass of carbs. Like that's a bummer. That's a real (laughs) bummer. Yeah. Do you have a substitute for that? Like a cold drink that gives you Uh, that same moment? A cold shower, a run around Mm, the block. I mean, those are, you know, to kind of kill the, (laughs) kill the, kill the need for that. No, I mean, I, I, I guess I I like wine, but I don't drink very much. I don't drink very much at all. Like, but, but I, I did get into a little bit of a, I signed up at the beginning of COVID like everybody else, I think, because the industry went bananas. I signed up for, um, those, uh, like wine subscriptions. Yeah, sure. You know, where they would send you like a box and it was like three bottles and whatever, and I, you know, I, 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 I was drinking maybe a glass or two every night. And there came a point where I was like, wait a minute, am I like a wine drinker now? Like, this is what I do. <laughs> right. And so I kind of, I kind of pulled back on that a little bit, but I, I guess I, I, I tried that, but it's not the same. It's not a beer, a, a beer. I mean, yes, of course there's palates and like the hops and the barley and all that stuff. And you can get really into it. It's not exactly the same thing as being like an, uh, what's it called? An onophile, maybe the, the wine person, mm. but, um, but but nevertheless, it, it doesn't satisfy in the same way that a beer does. A beer is like one part. It's yeah, it's buzzy, and you can kind of you know have have one or two beers, and you're like your your conversation becomes a bit more fluid. But it's um, but it's also a thirst thing. It's it's like you know it satisfies thirstiness, which wine does not do. No. Even like sangrias and so, I mean, I guess like wine coolers or something, but that's so passe at this point. Uh, well, my husband definitely thinks a beer is a meal. So that is always <laughs> fascinating. To I me. love that. Yeah, Are you he, serious? Yes. He will not eat dinner if he has a beer. Yeah, that is his meal. It's, it, well, wait, but wait a minute. Is that like a replacement because of the calories or he just is full after he is having full. a beer? He is oh. full. Right. Yeah, that's true. I can Which see I that. don't see that with wine and I don't feel that he doesn't feel that. But there is something about beer that it is satisfying and filling. <laughs> the reason I the reason I, I I like the whole ketogenic, and then I've also been doing a little bit of um, time restricted fasting, which is I, I usually eat like around two p.m. every day, mm-hmm. and then I try to stop eating. You know, I mean, hopefully before ten p.m. Sometimes I I sneak a little bit, but the reason that I do dig that that approach for me anyway is that I need a lot of discipline. Yeah, you know? I need I need like excuses to be disciplined because naturally I tend to be much more of a stream of consciousness sort of person, which is why this right. show is fun. Because <laughs> I can just, here we go into this other area. But um, but I do like that fact about like, it gives you something to be disciplined. And on a spiritual level, yeah. the idea, it, it kind of leads you to a different level, which I which I actually do want to ask you about uh, as it relates to women. But it, it, um, it leads you to this sense of recognizing that we are this kind of composite being, right? We are, we are material. And of course, we're spiritual. But both of those are important because otherwise God wouldn't have done it that way. He, you know, he, he did make beings that have no bodies. They're called angels. But he made us with bodies and spirit. And right. so the idea of what we put into our bodies, like, it makes sense to, you know, kind of think about it. No, I I completely agree. And I also back to the alcohol comments. I wouldn't want anyone listening to think that that is something that is a uh, negligence on my part. But I do think as Catholics, right, we do need to be knowledgeable of what we're putting in our bodies. And 
whether that's food, whether that's alcohol, whether that's water intake, whatever that is, because we are temples of the Holy Spirit and we need to care for ourselves. Yes. I will also say on the flip side, though, I do feel like our Catholic culture is starting to dabble into a um, gospel of physical health (laughs) that Mm. means that only fit persons are the ones that are caring for their bodies in the way that God intends. And I get concerned about that, Interesting. especially for women. There is yeah. certainly a drive going on right now for health coaches, fitness coaches, and then yeah. the persons who are, you know, the direct salesmen, saleswomen that are offering sure. those opportunities, bring faith into it sometimes. And I do want to put a pause button on yeah. that because there is a concern that I would have sometimes with that. My my friend, uh, Melody Lyons, I don't know if you know Melody. She, uh, she, she wrote a book called The Sunshine Principle. She's pretty big, like, I don't know. She, I'm sure she wouldn't call herself a Catholic media personality, but she kind of is. Sure, okay. Um, but she wrote a book called The Sunshine Principle. And then she's also a practitioner. I'm going to blow what it is, but it's like, it's like Catholic... CrossFit kind of Catholic functional okay. fitness, um, but I forget what it's called. But it's the, but it, it it's born out of this idea, or maybe I don't I don't want to ascribe any ill intent, but it might be born out of this idea that like you have to be super fit, and in order to be, if you're Catholic and you're going to do any kind of fitness, it's like the ultimate sort of fitness. I don't okay. know, but it but I I can see the potential to your point, the potential dangers in equating a certain look, a certain fitness, a certain BMI. With right. like, oh, this is like peak, uh, you know, Catholicity as it relates to, uh, to, uh, to physical exercise because that wouldn't be good either. Yeah. So I don't want to dash anyone who is incorporating faith into their physical fitness routine. You know, I love the Soul Core Ministry. I think that's, that's what it is. Amazing one. Oh, okay. That's what it is. Okay. Is that is that is that not like functional fitness meets faith kind of thing? It's like a a, a core, like it's focused on core, right? Core strength and things like that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, okay. and women so, pray the rosary while they there you are go. Yes, there you go. exercising. So I think that's beautiful. I think that's wonderful, right? But any type of if you yeah get to a certain BMI, right? If you lose so many calories, then, oh, Jesus is going to love you more. Wait, wait a second, right? <laughs> slow, <laughs> wait a second. slow your roll. Yeah, <laughs> real fast. I mean, well, h- how does this subject, though, impact specifically women? Like, I, I know you work specifically um, at uh, at Given, at the Given Institute. And, and by the way, you're not there now, right? You're on the road, sounds like. I am, yes. I'm on a working tour right now. So I'm at Franciscan University meeting with some of our partners. But yeah, typically I'm on the East Coast. Uh, for you're my on the job. East Coast, typically. Yeah. But you work, obviously, your focus is is women. And I want to I wanna really, you know, double click into this. But just since we're talking about kind of fitness, nutrition, all this other stuff, mm-hmm. how does that how does that whole subject does that even come up in the context of sort of leadership, uh, religious vocations, like maybe some of the um, expectations that the world might have around some of these topics? Like, I guess, how does that subject, if it does, manifest itself in some of the things that you do? It definitely does. So the definition of leadership, especially for women, right, Mm -hmm. in our culture has a lot of incorrect connotations, right? So the secular culture would say that a woman leader certainly physically, right, looks a certain way so that she can have a certain number of Instagram followers, okay, that she can gain Mm. prestige, she can, beautiful people typically get jobs more easily, right? 
They get promoted. Yes, they get promoted more easily. I mean, even I'm a tall woman. I'm five foot ten, right? My height has certainly helped me in gaining leadership roles. (laughs) Because that would make you if if you're five ten, is that without heels or do you wear heels at all at all or no? Uh, that is without heels, and I never wear heels because my husband so doesn't like, want me to. <laughs> so you're my my wife is 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 the same height. She might be a little taller than me, but she's my she's the same. I'm not tall. I'm five eight, but um, but she's she's also like a, you know reasonably tall woman. But when she puts heels on, I think she's maybe <laughs> six foot tall. And I'm like, you know, it's it's a it's a thing to to behold. But anyway, I didn't realize that about the. I, I have your Zoom profile now, right? So right, right, right. Your kind of video profile. I love meeting people for the first time too, after you've been talking to them a bunch on on video, and it's a totally different experience, you know, because yeah. half the time they're tall or short or whatever. In my yeah. case, you would be underwhelmed by my um my proficiency <laughs> my proficiency in height, Rachel, because I'm not there, not not with you, not I with you. I love it. That. But back to the point is that. We had given want every woman to know that yeah. she has the capacity for leadership, no matter what you look like, no matter how tall you are, your weight, but really to really get to the heart of it beyond it, no matter your job title, no matter your state in life, right? Mm-hmm. No matter how much money you make, you are a leader and God has called you to be a leader in your own sphere of influence because God has given each and every human being unique and unrepeatable gifts and Amen. leadership. Leadership is using those gifts at the service of others. And that really, that really breaks the mold. Okay. So a leader in our viewpoint is a stay-at-home mother, right, who mm-hmm. loves her family and leads them to holiness, maybe leads a local Bible study at her parish, right? A leader is a woman working a service job. She could be a waitress. She, she could be a, a house cleaner, working a service job and witnessing to Christ to her clients, right? Mm. And a leader can be someone who is a speaker on a stage. No matter where you are called, where God places you, when you put your gifts in the service of others, that is real leadership. And so that has nothing to do if you're, by the world standards, ugly, <laughs> by the world standards, overweight, right? That has nothing to do with your leadership capacity. Yeah, we're all uh, wonderfully made, as mm-hmm. the good book says, and kind of recognizing that sometimes for people, and you know, me in particular, it might take a long time to recognize that, but it is true, and it's, it's built into all of us. I'm glad you said that about um, at the service of others, because there's definitely a misapprehension about leadership in a lot of respects and, and in, in, in very well-intentioned circles sometimes. Um, my brother recently, my brother's a priest. He's a Benedict, he's a monk, but he's okay. a Benedictine. And um, he had this retreat that he didn't give. He participated in it. And when I talked to him on the phone, if he's listening, I didn't say this to you, brother, but, you know, I was <laughs> thinking it. So if you, if, if he's just in case, if he's listening, but, um, I had this, cause he mentioned to me, he's like, I had this, it was a servant focused kind of, uh, retreat, mm-hmm. like on the focus of, of servants, of servanthood of like, you know, being like Jesus, right. At, at the service of others ultimately and pouring yourself out to serve others and all of that stuff. But the, what he told me was, you know, he kind of felt like we emphasize this idea of leadership too much. He's like, we don't want to emphasize the idea of servanthood. And it caught me a little bit by surprise because maybe in a way he's right that I do hear a lot of like emphasis, like we need more leadership. We need more lay leadership. We need more clerical leadership. We need more just leadership across the board and that kind of thing. But his comment in a way 
was in a, in a, in a sense, even though I love him and agree with 99.9% of what he says, in a sense was a bit of the same kind of misapprehension that maybe somebody else would have about the word leadership, that I'm not a leader, so therefore I don't belong in this organization. Right. Because it is, it's kind of like, you can't be a leader without being a servant, truly. I mean, you could be a pretend leader or like a worldly leader, mm-hmm. you know, but but there's these aspects, this duality of like, if you're not in a position to pour yourself out, are you really being a leader? You know what I mean? Oh, I definitely know what you mean. And I think you're hitting the nail on the head of what we are aiming to do at Given and some of those misperceptions of the women who come to our event or who go on our website, right? So if they hear Catholic women's leadership, okay, you get those two dualities, okay? You definitely get women who have been raised in a culture that tells them that leadership means independence, right? Mm. Leadership means I don't need a man. I don't need a husband. (laughs) I don't need others to depend on, okay? That I claw my way up to the top. I break through that glass ceiling and that's leadership, okay? Self-sufficient, self-focused, okay? Mm. I also see on the other end, there are a lot of Catholic women that think that leadership means dying to self and also being a doormat, Okay, Mm. there isn't a happy middle sometimes, which is what we are trying to do at Given, right? Because we all need to improve upon our skills, right? So wherever God has called us, if that's in the workplace, if that's in the home, if that's in religious life, right? We want to be the best version of ourselves. That is the being the best steward of the gifts that God has given us. That doesn't mean that we have no room for self-improvement, right? And constant meek humble prayer and kind of living in the shadows isn't necessarily what God is calling us to do. There are times of passion and ardor (laughs) and times to step out and activate our gifts. But then when you go too far on the pendulum to I'm doing this for myself, Mm. not because I'm being a good steward of the gifts that God has given me, right? It's all about self-donation, self-gift. And that is true women's leadership. But it's interesting just what you said, you know, but what your brother said, right? This focus on too much leadership, which I actually do think women have been duped into a false definition of leadership for many decades, right? They've been told they can't be mothers and be leaders, right? They've been told that they can't be in community in the service of others to be leaders, right? It's all about gain, all about knocking down the little guys or the little girl, like the women below you, right? Uh, and so that's something that we really aim to do at Given is to help women to know their gifts and use them. There's, there, I've had um, in my corporate career, so I've been in the startup world and then now my own thing for about five years. But in my corporate life, I had, that I can recall, two uh, female bosses. Okay. And this is terrible because kind of like focus group of one, right? So I, I, I'm, I don't mean by this, that this is the universal law of like, yeah, 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 sure. you know, female leadership, female secular leadership, by the way, these are very secular spaces, like Hollywood entertainment kind of, you know, spaces. Right. Um, and I can tell you that in those experiences, because I got to know these women over the years and be able to have moments of, um, you know, kind of real authentic connection, right, with them at some point. It, it took years in some cases to get there. But but I can tell you the the great sort of longing and dissatisfaction of having to wear the mask you just described. 
right? Because yes. it was unnatural. To, at least that's what I, I wouldn't have said these words because I didn't know enough then. But it, it was like, it was like kind of stepping out on a stage. And you've done this because you're a speaker. And I actually just watched your OSV talk not too long ago. I thought it was really good. But you, you, you get yourself kind of, you know, you put yourself together. You get some makeup and stuff. And, and that's mm-hmm. for guys too on, on stages like that. But you get – and you kind of go out there. And when you get done with that, you're like, oh, I'm exhausted. Like all of this sort of tension and, and all this preparation and all of this other stuff. And there was something like that among these women in those moments of like the guard coming down and those moments of connection of authenticity mm. where you saw that mask come off and you're like, oh, wait, there you are. Like that's you. That's what you yes. re- who you really are. And, and like it hit me in those times like, man, that's got to be exhausting to do that, to kind of play these – you know, some of the trappings that you describe, right? Of like, I have right. to be this way. I have to appear this way. I don't know if you find that in, 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 in some of the, the things that you do, but that was my experience was like, it's got to yeah. be a, a heavy weight to kind of carry in a way. You know, it reminds me of a story one of our board members has shared many times, and she was a very successful financial analyst on Wall Street for many, many years. And mm-hmm. she really had reached the top, right? She had the big title, the corner office, had a lot of different employees she was managing. And she had this moment where she got her Christmas bonus, okay? Mm. And the bonus was many, many, many zeros behind it, okay? (laughs) Not one one you get in the Catholic ministry world, right? Mm -hmm. And when she opened up that check, she started sobbing. And you would assume, right, that that's something you jump for joy and you hop on a plane and go to the Bahamas, right? No, she, that release of that pressure, she Mm. had worked so hard to get to this point and realized she was alone. She didn't have any community. She was unmarried, didn't have children. A lot of these things that women are told to postpone, if not never achieve, right, so that you can get the financial success, right? You can have that big title. You can compete with men. I mean, that is what women are told, right? Sure. And so she shares this story very vulnerably and she had a beautiful conversion. As a result, she's now a founder of an amazing nonprofit and serves the church and just an amazing woman. And so just that story that you shared, uh, you are absolutely right. That ultimately that attitude of having it all, which is what women have been told, you can have it all. It is not satisfying because what is it? It's all turned inward, right? Yeah. And at given, right, we do believe in hustling and working hard, okay? But in the service of others, right? It's pointed towards Christ. It's pointed towards others because that truly is the deep satisfaction that you will receive, right? That you know that you're using your gifts for his glory, right? And that can be done in a secular space as well. It doesn't have to be you work for a Catholic organization. Yeah, of course. Well, and in your case, it's even deeper than that because it's service of others, but oriented to the ultimate service of the one, right? Which is, at least that's how I see it. Um, I, I remember just just the gospel from uh, this past Sunday was, you know, the famous Mary and Martha uh, parable, right? right? Martha's kind of flitting around the kitchen and she's got a thousand things going on. And here's Mary just at the feet of our Lord. And she's like, I'm doing all this stuff and it's crazy. And she's just sitting there and Jesus kind of admonishes her. And I always read that in a way as an admonishment to the active life. It was like, well, mm-hmm. you know, doing all these things is bad. 
but it was really an admonishment around who are you doing it for, right? Who are you doing it for? It's not that the doing dishes or making food is bad. It's great. It's a sign of hospitality. But if you're doing it because you're trying to get the table set or you're doing it because you're worried that your guests might feel poorly about their host, well, then you're not really orienting to the one. And so what I think you do to the extent that I know what you do, because I don't, a, a lot of it, but but it's is that you help people live that life of service, but oriented to the ultimate service of of God, which is, you know, the the sort of goal and end of of service, right, itself, which is that super additional and important, you know, layer yes. to, to the cake. Yeah, it's so cool that you bring up the Martha and Mary story. Uh, we just had a recent discussion uh, in Given Academy, and one of our presenters, she titled her presentation, In a Martha versus Mary world, mm. be a Mary Magdalene. <laughs> and ultimately, her point, not that we know Martha's character very well, you know, I'm sure, sure. she was an amazing holy woman, right? But that whole um, verses, right, of the worker without the interior life of, with Christ, right, versus the one who sits at the feet of Christ and isn't working in a way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Be instead the Mary Magdalene who journeyed with the apostles, right, was there at the tomb at the resurrection, right? She wasn't sitting and hiding anywhere. She was working. Right. Oh, she I dig was that. she yeah. was looking for the risen Christ, you know. But she and was on the journey. She yeah. was on the journey. And what's so powerful of what we know of Mary Magdalene, right, is that she is a repentant sinner. <laughs> yeah. And that is what we want all of our women had given to know is what I said about the true definition of leadership, but also what we stress is that a real leader is a healed leader. That you cannot be a leader without knowing your woundedness, right? And bringing that to the Lord over and over again, because there can be a a draw, a, a pitfall to when you are like living in your gifts and you're jiving in your jam, you know, and you are serving really well, right? that you suddenly kind of elevate beyond the suffering. (laughs) You elevate beyond your weaknesses, your faults, your flaws, right? And uh, get on this kind of cloud of, what a great warrior I am for the Lord, (laughs) Mm. right? Mm, I've got that notch, right, for sainthood. And so I just loved what she made that point about Mary Magdalene, right? Is that being a worker, right? having a life with Christ, but also being a repentant sinner. Yeah. And, and, and walking with him along the way. I mean, I I really dig that whole Mary, Martha and Magdalene, right? Because the way that I look at it, I talk about this quite a bit. I don't know what you make of it, but to me, I think about um, the Holy Spirit, his action in history as a point of emphasis rather than as a point of invention or, you know, creation for a particular time and place. What I mean by that is that if you think about it, you know, both Mary and Martha are in heaven, right? It's Saint yes. Martha, by the way, right? right? So apparently she lived a life in, enough uh, in proximity to God that she is now, you know, beholding the beatific vision forever. Right. So, right. you know, so so to think of her as some like, you know, just busybody kind of going around stuff, like that's a little bit of a misapprehension. But right. But the idea of Magdalene, which I think is really cool, is the emphasis on this notion of of being on a journey yourself, recognizing your repentant sinner, but also traveling with 
the Lord, the apostles going out into the world to like yes. interact, because I think that's the point of emphasis today that the Holy Spirit is driving, especially in our country. It's like this idea of like, let me meet you where you are. Good. Let me point to you the way. Also good. But let me walk with you to get there, which is kind of like the emphasis for our time and space right now. And I know that you also do that. It's a big part of like your program too, which is like this mentorship kind of idea. And like, we want to, you know, be with you, not just like show you a pretty presentation and then go, Hey, good luck. Hope you learned everything off you go, but we're with you. Right. I think that's really cool. That is really what I believe sets given apart uh, across the country for our women's ministry and our apostolate is that, yeah, we're not just hosting this fabulous event, which we are the annual leadership (laughs) forum for young adult women, ages 21 to 30, faith formation, leadership training, but that ultimately all of those young adults are paired with a dedicated mentor, right? And that mentor works with her for an entire year after the forum. She journeys with her on her personal, professional, and spiritual development. And, you know, the great part is that this is woman-on-woman mentoring. And I think I kind of intimated before how often in our secular culture, women compete with one another. (laughs) Sure. In many ways. They compete by their looks. I mean, go all go back to that. They compete by the number on the scale, right? They compete with their degrees, but they just compete constantly. And then what we do at Given is we pair an emerging leader with an established woman leader, a layer consecrated woman who has been there, done that, right? She has suffered, right? She's a repentant sinner, right? And she is faithful to the church. She's faithful to the gospel and she's doing something with her faith. And then she can model that to the young woman. Mm. I want to talk about this faithful to the church thing, because you said something really interesting, and I forget when you said it. It may have been, or maybe you wrote it, I don't know, but I came across it um, in this. And you were you were talking about that when you talk to folks about, hey, here's what I do, and this is what I'm, what I'm really like energized for, and I think the Lord's called me to do it, Right. that you have people which I was kind of surprised by, to be honest with you, but, but you have people who kind of hit you with, wait a minute, are you uh, trying to get women ordained or are you trying to change teaching on human sexuality? Like, what's your deal? Mm-hmm. Like, is this some subterfuge to achieve that end? So I noticed the intentionality of, of mentioning the faithfulness of the magisterium and faithful to, faithful to the church, but I was kind of surprised that you would run in that I'm, I'm assuming that you're running into that in fairly like when you're talking to more maybe conservative folks in, in the church that that's kind of how you get hit because I assume you might get hit in the other, by the other wing in a different way. Like, wait a minute, what do you mean that women can't have it all? Like, so <laughs> are, are you kind of in the middle of something where you kind of, depending on who you're talking to, you get hit in either direction or is it really just a predominance of people who think that you're rallying for something that that's more along the lines of an unorthodox or heterodox belief. That's so awesome. Yeah. You could call us Switzerland over here at given. I mean, we're like, (laughs) we are in that happy, moderate middle. So you're absolutely right that I get pinged on both sides. Right. Mm. So I do have to very clearly answer that question a lot. When I say I'm the executive director of a Catholic women's leadership organization, I will get plenty of people who say, oh, great. So you must be expecting the Vatican to change church teaching on ordination. 
or on human sexuality. You must want birth control <laughs> because wow. how could a woman have a successful career without being able to sterilize herself? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because That's, we it, live in that culture. In a way, and you know, look, obviously in the grand scheme, we love all these, all of our detractors, but it's kind of like offensive, right? To have that be your first shot out of the cannon. Like I would normally just say, hi, my name is right. But like, you know, it's, do you get, I mean, does it kind of set off your, you know, your kind of spidey sense a little bit and you go like, it it is like, I would be offended by that, that, that question from the get go as a faithful person. Sure. No, I'm not offended by it. I see it as a teaching opportunity, right? You're you're better than I am, Rachel. You already uh, proved it. Well, I got to say, though, as a Catholic working woman, I am a bit of an anomaly just walking down the street, okay? True, true. I am an executive director. I have three young children, right? And I do kind of turn heads sometimes. And I'm on both sides of the spectrum, okay? Just what you said. I definitely have organizations that are like, rah, rah, rah. Well, she must be ready to ordain priests, right? I also have persons who think, well, she must not be attending to her family the way that she is called to be as a Catholic oh, woman. So, wow. <laughs> yeah, so wow. you get both angles, which is very disappointing, right? It's that pigeonholing, it's that boxing in what is the vocation that God can give a woman, right? And that's sure. what's so important is that vocation, your calling, is not just your state in life, right? It's not just, okay, once I'm married, then that's my vocation, right? Once I'm a religious sister, that's my vocation. Or if you then get into the ordination thing, oh, if I'm a priest, then that must be the vocation, right? It is not about that. That is can be your path to holiness, but ultimately your personal vocation and what we're trying to help these young women do is discover your gifts and put them at the service of others. That can be in any state in life, right? Amen. If you are serving others, that is what God wants you to be doing. Okay, so I want to do a little role play with you then, Rachel. So if right. I'm the person, I'm the person who says, you say, hi, I'm Rachel Ullman. And I turn around and I find out that you work at Given, which is this female leadership um, organization. And I say to you, yeah, I think that's awesome. I can't wait until these old, you know, pale, male and stale people figure out that like women should really just be running all of it. And I can't believe they haven't ordained women priests yet. What do you say to me? Like, how do you deal with that situation in the moment? Hmm. I say that I want to be very clear that as the executive director of Given, we are not in competition with men. We're not at odds with men. Actually, we believe that God created men and women to be equal, and they are equal in dignity, right? But equality doesn't mean we all have to play the exact same roles, okay? So for instance, I do not ever believe that a man can be pregnant. Mm. Sounds reasonable. Okay. (laughs) I do not believe that a man is supposed to play the role of mother, right? Mm. I do not believe that a woman is supposed to play the role of father, as an example, right? And when you equate priesthood to just be a job, right? Like a job with certain, um, you know, skills that you need to have. Well, okay, men and women can technically do almost any single job that is out there. For the most part, there are certainly jobs that require certain strengths that some women would not be able to do. That is just the truth, right? Just like a man could not be a 
surrogate, which I would never advocate for that. That's not correct either, right? Right. But there, there are certain roles, right? And especially that come in accordance with natural law that should not be crossed. And ultimately, Jesus instituted the priesthood as a spiritual father role. And so I do not see that as something that women should or need to obtain. And I actually, and then I would just go into how the church's mother, women have always been esteemed in the church. Look at the female saints, look at the female doctors of the church, that we do have equality in the church. I mean, just read the church documents, JP2s, Moliere's Dignitatum, blah, 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 right? Uh, to really know at the heart of the church and its teachings that we do believe in the equality of men and women. And that is distinct from playing certain roles. Yeah, equality is not identicality, right? I, I think right. that's a word, but it 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 doesn't it doesn't mean the same thing. And I think we've kind of messed around with that and uh, kind of confused it. This yeah. idea, too, my 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 wife, um, who is one of my role models, um, but she this whole idea of the mom or the dad playing both parental roles, which in a society that has the level of of sadly of broken. Right. You know, families and, and fatherlessness that we do, which is we lead the world in that regard. Um, you see a lot of this, right? But we we do a lot of work with uh, homeless and um, housing unstable families. And my wife in particular um, is this is one of the points that animates her a lot is when she'll hear from one of the heads of household of the families that we serve, whether it's a, a man or a woman, it's usually sure. a woman. But when she hears something either from the kid or from the parent that says something like, well, look, in my scenario, I've got to be both mom and dad. It's very, lo it's very logical. Like it makes sense that somebody would say that, you know, dad's not in the picture yeah. mom's or mom's not in the picture. So I've got to be both roles. But my wife's go back to this and it's not like some rapid fire. Oh no, you're wrong. Like it's not at all that. I mean, this, we, our ministry is one of accompaniment too. And we, we, we serve families for years and years and years. But what she gets to over time, which I think is awesome is if you're the mom and you've got kids and you, and dad's out of the picture, let me introduce you to their father, right? Their father in heaven. Right. And if it's and if it's a guy or the kids or the or, or the children of a of a of a father where mom's not in the picture, let me help introduce you to your mother, right? But it's 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 this kind of like decoupling the notion that you can or even should ever think about trying to do both roles because the reality is it's not possible or advisable to try to do both roles. And I, I, it's like one of her like strengths in relationship building that she kind of hits on that point uh, often. Wow. Good for your wife, <laughs> because that is absolutely true. And I actually think that part of this problem of going back to women possibly seeking a certain career role and thinking that they can't balance motherhood at the same time. We've got a culture problem here where too much has fallen on solely mothers. And I'm not just talking about single mothers. I'm talking about married families, right? Where all of the childcare, 
all of the discipline, let's say, all of the running kids back and forth to activities, as an example, had fallen solely on the mother, which is not mm. necessarily, right, what should or needs to happen to run a happy, healthy, stable household, right? Even if a woman is not working, even if her primary role is in the home, right? She's a volunteer, whatever it is that she does, she does not have to be carrying all of that load alone, right? And I think this needs to be something that we change in our Catholic culture is stepping up the role of fathers in the household in shared parenting, in shared child care. You know, I can't tell you, okay, speaking of the flip side, how many times I go to an, an event, right? And Catholics will ask me, well, who's babysitting your kids? Yeah. My uh, husband, their dad, and it's, it's, it's not called babysitting. Seriously. <laughs> or you, you know, your, your, your kind of tongue in cheek answer should be nobody. That should be your, that should be your tongue in cheek. Well, what do you, how, what do you mean? You just left them alone. That's crazy. No, they're being fathered by their dad. Yes. So. Which is so healthy. So I just want to make that argument, you know, exactly For what sure. your wife is doing right in broken households. It needs to happen in households with married parents, right? Is of that course. fathers and mothers together sharing the child care load? Because I think until that happens is the only way we're going to have a pro-life culture. It's the only way yeah. we're going to live in this post-Roe era where women actually believe that they can care for their children because they have a loving and supportive husband <laughs> who Amen. is there for them, right? Yeah, Guys are guys are kind of taking a beating, I think, lately, um, in in this culture because that what you just said, I find it striking because I you know I live in LA and I work in the media industry and around a lot of secular sectors, but what you just said, how like scandalous or shocking it might sound to contemporary ears. I mean, it is like. It's right up there with like the moon landing was fake, you know, I mean, and 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 these positions of the dominant culture have hardened to such a degree of orthodoxy that it's like it's it's hard to talk about them in yeah. certain sectors. I have another show that I do with my business partner. It's called Unsiloed. And he's not religious. He's not Catholic. He's mm-hmm. not. Uh, he's a person of progressive ideological bent, um, very left leaning. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, not that. And we have these discussions and I'm always struck by how much I need to modulate things that I say in that context, right. because I don't want to, I don't want to scare them off and I don't want to have them like, you know, take a swing at me from across the desk. And my sense is, and look, I, to his credit, I think he has to do a lot of work as well to not say things that might be offensive to right. my sensibilities because he knows me for a lot, a number of years. But I, I'm just struck by how things that are so, you know, plain and clear and evidenced by the data and logical and natural are cause such a response, such a reaction in many segments of the dominant culture. Well, I certainly believe as Catholics that this isn't just a secular versus religious um, ideological conversation. I do think there is a 
spiritual battle that is happening Amen. around us, right? I mean, we have to acknowledge that there are evil spirits and the evil one is attacking the truth, right? And marriage and family is at the heart of that, right? The core Absolutely. of a family, the core of a mother and a father, right? And their love for their children and begetting of that love. I mean, that goes all the way back to the women's ordination conversation, right? We look at our spiritual fathers, our priests. Are they really willing to live up to the task of being a father and own into that? And Holy Mother Church, is she really willing to be up to the task of nurturing her children, right? And so I think we are being attacked, right, by the evil one at the very core of how God designed <laughs> this created order, right? Male well, and mean, female, could- he created them. Right. You got to you got to think like a military strategist. Right. I mean, which which uh, he probably is certainly, you know, as I joke about, if he was from Boston, he'd be wicked smart. Right. He's <laughs> really, really sharp. And it's like if you're in a battle, you, you see this in historical battles where, um, you know, they'll attack the food lines. Right. They'll attack they'll attack right. the thing that the army's marching on. Because that's, yeah, sure, we can have infantry and bombs and people on horses and whatever, depending on the time, the historical period. But in almost all cases, like whether it's today or 5,000 years ago, like the idea of let's cut off their, the thing that's propping them up is like a military tactic of old. This is not new, right? right? So if you're thinking like that, sure, like what's giving them this foundation that they're standing on to fight me? It's that. So let's knock that down. Because then they'll they'll be less sturdy. I mean, it kind of makes sense. It it does make sense. And that's why I believe so strongly in the work that we do at Given is because I think part of the tactics of the evil one has been to attack women and to attack them in their dignity, right? I mean, we see that just in the sexualization of women, obviously, right? Human trafficking is only getting worse, right? We see that in obviously this uh, abortion debate that's going on, right? Women being completely attacked in their bodies, right? In the gift of how God designed them. And so what we do at Given is first to help women be healed, right? To be a leader, she must first be healed. She must receive the gift of who she is, how God created her and designed her as woman. And that's not an accident. That is a beautiful, grand design to not be afraid of her fertility, to not be afraid of her reproductive system, right? To love it, know it, embrace it and be able to manage it and use it in the way that God designed, right? And then she realizes those gifts that God has given her, and then she responds with that gift. She does something with it. She executes an action plan. So let's talk a little bit about, or let's expand a little bit on this kind of, you know, theme of the enemy of our souls and the battle. Because if I look around, Rachel, I see a lot of casualties too. And you picked quite the battlefront. To be in, right? I mean, you've got, you know, religious orders, especially female religious orders who that have dramatically contracted. I mean, on the whole, there are obviously orders that are thriving, right. but but on by and large, you know, religious orders in the last, you know, whatever, 50, 60 years have been like decimated. I think that's actually an appropriate word. And it's also a military yes. one, by the way. So decimated. Um, You've also got what's going on in the dominant culture with respect to unaffiliation, especially with women, right? I mean, you talk about this in one of your things that you did. Again, I forget which one it was, but you talk about 
like the picture's not rosy, A, and it's getting worse, B, right? So it's not mm-hmm. like it's bad and it's improving. It's bad and it's getting worse. So you've got these dynamics. That's a lot of casualties, right, that you're right in the thick of, right? You're like kind of battling, you know, on this. And I guess, do you kind of look at it as like a sequence of things that we need to think about? In other words, if we focus on this and that's kind of what Gibbons focuses, therefore these other things kind of fall into place? Or are you kind of battling on multiple fronts? You see what I'm saying? Like, is it, how do you view the strategy for achieving what it is that you're trying to do. Yeah. Well, back to the disaffiliation of women, I think everybody needs to wake up and realize about the bleak picture and the bleak numbers that are coming out because I think the Catholic Church, at least here in the United States, has heavily relied upon women to be the ones filling the pews, the grandmas Absolutely. dragging their grandkids to mass right? The ones passing on the faith, right? You know, you think of Hannah in the Bible, you think of uh, all of these amazing, strong women who were somewhat hidden, hidden, you know, they didn't have some big warrior Joan of Arc moment, okay? Praying in the temple. That's been women for so long, but that is not the case anymore, right? The 2019 Mm. Pew report that came out that the deep decline, not just in millennial women, but in all women, not Mm. being affiliated with religion. I mean, this is dangerous times, right? So our strategy, right, to combat that being that we are going to particularly invest in young adult women, in the next generation of Catholic female leaders, right? And so the strategy being that the women who have been faithful and stuck through it, these established women leaders who are more seasoned in their life, you know, 40 and up, right, who then serve as mentors to these young adults, right, that they can show that even in times of suffering, times of struggle, that they've stuck there and been blessed by it, that there has still been fruit as a result, right, of their faithfulness is a really important witness to these young women. And then Mm. I'll speak on the sisters aspect, right, seeing the droves of women leaving religious life, seeing many of the aspects of religious life that we would expect to even visualize, like you could take habits, for example, seeing those being left behind, right? Impacts the next generation, right? It impacts the people watching, the children, right? The young adults watching, because then they're seeing that, oh, then faithfulness, right? To a commitment to vows, right? To a lifestyle of communal prayer, right? That that's not that. Then maybe this isn't all what it's cracked up to be. Mm. <laughs> maybe this Catholic faith isn't really doing it for me. You know, the visibly right champions of Catholicism for women, which was religious sisters, right? When that is decimated, like you said, of yeah. course we're going to have these Pew Research numbers. Of course we are. <laughs> yeah. Why are we surprised? So the strategy for us being that we place the next generation, these young adults, in relationship with women who have stuck through it, right? And this is That's lay it. and consecrated women, right? Yeah. We'll show them sisters that have stuck with it. We'll show them lay women who still are faithful to the church. They practice natural family planning, right? They have stuck with it, even through a lot of confusion and a lot of assaults. 
Yeah, that's what I dig about what you do is the the emphasis on relationship. I, I also think that, you know, there's um there's a spirit of this pontificate. And Pope Francis, you know, like you, is a little bit like set upon by all sides, you know. Um, <laughs> yes. But uh, but one of the things that I like about what Pope Francis has done, in fact, he used a really interesting word one time when he was talking about the ministry of women. Um, he he used a word that in English would translate into this kind of capillary. He used that word capillary presence within the church, like a deep rooted, and he was talking about the institutional church in that con- in that context was, okay. and you can see it in his actions, right? With the dicasteries and all these other things. And, and now women being involved in much more senior positions in the Vatican that he, you know, the, the, the clergy is off limits, but what are ways that we can more deeply like a capillary, like a hair, like mm. integrate the gift of, of women into the fabric of what the church is to bring that witness of feminine genius, et cetera, into it. Because in the absence of that, and that's not a silver bullet, but in the absence of that, it just adds to what you just described, which is right. just not a good picture. Like if if anybody's sounding the alarm, like now is the time. I mean, we probably should have done it 20 years ago, but like right. definitely sounding the alarm now because, you know, it's, it is, it is um, very concerning uh, and, and especially for the U.S. I mean, because the U.S. has such influence on the rest of the world. Right. So it's like what's happening here is very exportable, always has been. So like, you know, and you see it now. I'm 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 Hispanic. My family's from Colombia, Colombia, which was like one of the most Catholic countries in the world, is now increasingly importing a lot of, you know, American understanding, a current understanding on social issues. And so they've legalized abortion and they're doing all these different things. And and, you know, our what happens here is like we export, you know, and yeah. and that adds to the urgency of what you just described for me. Yeah, and I do want to say that Pope Francis, I think, does a beautiful job of practicing what the church preaches. <laughs> yeah. Because that can be an argument, and I do acknowledge that argument, right? That you could read Molieris Dignitatum, you could read Letter to Women and say, oh, that's all nice and flowery and lovely, but... I am not supported as a woman by the church. And there are examples in practice, right? Yeah. Where women are not supported. I have had that happen myself in my Catholic professional career. You know, and I think what you just said about having women at the table, right, <clears throat> in conversations is so important. Like a great example, I used to work for the Archdiocese of Baltimore, is that the senior staff, so those are typically the highest advisors to the archbishop, were all men except for my one boss who was the superintendent of Catholic schools. You know, she's one woman in a room of 12 plus men, right? And that can be intimidating. It of can. Course. Let's acknowledge And probably that, mostly right? clergy too, right? Absolutely, right? Yeah. So just even normalizing, right, to have female advisors, right, to the episcopate is really important, right? Um, and I, as a deacon and a married deacon, your wife is probably one of your best advisors. I bet. Oh, are you kidding me? She's my ad- advisor, homily preparer. I mean, you get forget about it. It's like I think like eighty nine percent of what I say didn't originate with me. So it's it, it's a it's it, she's definitely got an outsized impact. Um, but yeah, no, you're right, Ra- Rachel. I'm curious about one thing as we kind of round our time out together here. Okay. Why you? Why you? About this work. 
I have always been an anomaly, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, when I was a child, I had my parents' friends saying, well, that that kid's either going to be a roller derby queen or a nun. Like just something off the uh, wall. Right? I could tell that. I could tell that about you. I so could tell never, that about you. I have never um, been afraid mm. of being put to a difficult task, right? I somewhat thrive on it. Uh, but I also would say, why me? And why did I accept it? Why did God design me the way I am? And then why did I accept the opportunity? Is because I do see women suffering all around me. I see mm. mothers who are drowning. <laughs> I see lonely women. I see women who are abused, right? I see women who, one, don't know their own dignity, but then even women that do know their dignity and know their gifts then aren't using them for others. They're instead getting caught up in a very self-centered world, (laughs) which is very disappointing. Uh, Mm. I am uh, really shocked. You know, I went to Franciscan University. I'm I'm here right now on campus. So I grew up and I'd say a very healthy Catholic culture, right? In the Catholic bubble. And I'm shocked at, as we get out into the world, how many of my peers, their marriages are falling apart. You know, how many of them are not practicing the faith? Uh, how many of them are involved in different organizations or different opportunities, different roles that are not for the goodness of the Lord. And so yeah. we have a problem that we have to face. And I am very grateful that I am here in this uh, opportunity to be able to help women to know their gifts and and really to be confident, be self-assured in the gifts that God's given you. Don't be afraid to go out and use them. Well, you sound and 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 present yourself as the right instrument for the job, Rachel. So um, I, for one, am glad that you're out there doing exactly what you're doing. And uh, fans of the show, we normally close the show with a Wait What segment. Sadly, I did not have time to prepare it, Rachel. So we're going to have to bring you back to All do right. wait, wait What, which is a lot of fun. But before we go, I do want folks to know how to get in touch with you. And how to like, you know, what are like big things coming up? What are, you know, whatever, just things that are important to you that you want to mention. And we'll add that stuff to, uh, to the show notes before we say goodbye. Awesome. You can go on our website, giveninstitute.com. We're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Given Institute. And I would just really encourage if there are any young adult women, ages 21 to 30, to look ahead to November 1st is when we open applications for the forum for next year, for that opportunity to be at that event and then ultimately receive mentorship. And also any woman, right, beyond that age group, you can apply to be a mentor. And so if you're just itching, maybe something you've heard today has really inspired you to get involved, to maybe turn those stats around, please be a part of our mission and apply to be a mentor. And all of that happens on November 1st when we open those applications. Excellent. Glad you're out there, Rachel. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was a great conversation. Thanks for coming by the show. And if you're hearing us, that means it's time to subscribe. I think you can you could share this episode with a lot of people, but particularly that young woman that Rachel just described, who has a mission and has a role that God has given her that maybe this um, platform and organization that Rachel has built will be a source of detonation for that great gift for the benefit of the world and the kingdom of God. So please scratch that itch share the episode, subscribe. We'll see you again next time on Living the Call.